So I got, I was given this morning a belated Christmas present, and it was really a present for all of us because it is a giant book of pastor jokes. It is the gift that keeps on giving. And so I'm going to test one of them out this morning to prep us for this, for God's word. Um, There was this student in school and the teacher started to know a habit of this student. And the student kept walking next to the same person every day, the same young girl. And the teacher couldn't figure it out. No matter how she organized the lines, he would walk to this same girl every day. He'd tell her, stop, don't do that. He'd keep doing it. One day, he finally goes up to the, she comes up to the boy and she says, what are you doing? You do not listen. You, you get out of line. You keep walking with the same person. What is going on? And she, he simply just looks at her with an innocent faith and says, Second Corinthians tells me that I should always walk by faith. <laughs> get it? The girl's name was Faith? Right? Jared, did you get it back there? Okay, okay. I assumed you weren't laughing because you didn't get it. I did, I did not. I did not. But I'm glad to know it's there. I felt like that one was funnier in my office. I really did. It was. It's going to hit you later. Was it? Was it? Thank you. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate it. <laughs> Rob and I share a special passion for horrible jokes. Last week, um, last week, uh, I shared with you that over the course of the last year, um, uh, I had a growing desire in my heart uh, to become a better prayer. To spend more time in prayer, to grow in the area of prayer, I should really say. And as I had ta- chatted with um, several people in here, I think seven or eight different people over the course of last year, um, I got the same feeling from them. And so I don't know what it looks like, uh, but I think that God wants to do something in my life, in your life, and in the life of this church when it comes to prayer. And and, and I'd love for nothing more that when the end of 2023 comes to say that we've grown as a church in prayer. And so we took a Sunday last week uh, to talk about prayer. Uh, we talked about how time and time again, uh, the Bible tells us about the power of prayer. That if you want to see the power of the almighty creator of the heavens and the earth, the first and the last, the great I am, come to play a part in our world, all we need to do is pray. I quoted last week that power is the conduit through which power from heaven is brought to earth, which is very exciting when you first think about it. I remember the first time when I was young, or one of the first times where I learned about the power of prayer, and I'm thinking, wow, all these awesome things that God can do. And yet the ironic thing is I think it's safe to say, at least in my experience as a pastor and in my own life, that we struggle to pray. We spend very little time praying. I shared a a really old statistic that said uh, the average Christian uh, that responded to a poll, I think it was a thousand people or something, uh, spent about five hours a week on Facebook. And yet they spent an average of less than 30 minutes in prayer a week. I looked online uh, yesterday, and and it said uh, in the growth of social media, YouTube, and all of those, that people now spend an average of two hours and 20 minutes a day on social media, or YouTube, or all of those right there. And even if you don't spend a big 
YouTube or social media person, if you have a, a, a smartphone, you, you, there's a place you can look on your phone where it tells you how much time you spend on your phone on different apps. It's very humbling if you're willing to look. Very humbling. And it may not even be... Um, it may not even be social media. It could be just like, you know, I don't know how many you play Candy Crush or some of those addictive little games, right, that you just see with the different levels. In the Bible, it doesn't tell us that Candy Crush or social media is the conduit through which power, the power of heaven is brought to earth. It says it's prayer, and yet it's the thing that we spend so much, so little time doing. And, I, and we talked about the, one of the reasons I think this is, one of the probably many, is that we misunderstand the purpose of prayer. We have this subconscious idea that the purpose of prayer is to get God to do stuff. And I know that this is true in my life because if every time that I prayed, God answered it the way I wanted to, I would pray all the time. I would have been this morning, Lord, let them laugh at my joke, right? I pray over everything, Lord. Let the Seahawks crush the Rams today and the Lions crush the Packers, right? I'd keep praying. I mean, you did answer it last week when the Seahawks crushed the Jets, but, uh, you know, I, I would pray all the time. But he doesn't always answer my prayers. And, and, I, and so this is true in my life, and I think it's true in all of our lives of God. Always gave us what we want when we prayed. We would be praying all the time. But since he doesn't, we are tempted to lose faith in our prayers. And to stop seeking him. But really, as we read last week, a, a, a psalm of, of, of David, the purpose of prayer is much different. He says this in Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5. He says, Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I will wait all day long. Make me know your ways. Lead me. Teach me. See, I believe the primary purpose of prayer is to change us. It is to change us. As we draw near to our Father in heaven, and we're made aware and reminded of his holiness and his, and his justice and his mercy and his grace and his love and his, his omniscience, that his word and his spirit, it does a work in us changes how we start to see things and, and look at things and process things. And it's not, it's not just us bringing our requests to God, which we should do, but it's God showing us our requests and changing how we see them. And so I encourage you last week to start carving out time to pray. Just said, you know, you, you have trouble focusing, you know, set a timer. Like I told you I did when I first started, and I set a 10-minute timer on my phone when I first started. And then that's what kept me from watching my watch every 30 seconds when I was praying. And I had a great time of prayer last week. You know, it didn't change any of my circumstances, but I found a greater peace and focus in my life, and, and I hope that you did as well. And if you didn't take up that challenge, I pray that you will this week to carve out that solid time for God. And remember, I, I told you that if you're serious about wanting to pray, that you'll find a mature believer who you know will have the gumption to hold you accountable and to encourage you and let them know, here's what I want to do. Can you check in with me? I said, if you didn't do that yet, I pray that this will be the week that you start. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, all right. 
The Holy Spirit sit in there a little bit on that one. Hey, Tom, can you bring me down just a little bit? Now, we also talked about how prayer doesn't just change us. It really does change our circumstances, right? You see this all throughout the Bible. And then John, Jesus in John 15, he says, when he's talking to his disciples, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. James 5.16 says the prayers of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I'm like, what do you do with those verses? Like, there's no, there's no getting around these verses. There's no getting around what James is saying. It's powerful. It's effective. Jesus says, you abide in me. Whatever you wish, it'll be done. No ifs, ands, or buts. How do we justify these verses when we pray for certain things and then the answers do not come? Because we have to be able to justify them or understand them because if we don't, then that's what will partially cause us to stop praying, to give up hope of God answering our prayers. We have to be able to reconcile the verse, these, this command of Jesus, the words of James, the examples throughout the Bible, and then the real life, I pray, and it doesn't happen. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at a few of the ways that God answers our prayers. Probably not every way that he answers our prayers, but some of the ways that he answers our prayers to give us a greater view of our creator and how he interworks with the prayers that we pray and when they don't happen. Now, the first one, and it is our favor, it's yes, and right away, right? It's when we pray for something and it's there. We love those prayers. I think the old, in, in, in Genesis, I think of the, the, the servant of Abraham. If you remember, I think it was Genesis 24, he was on a mission to find a wife for Abraham's son, Isaac. And here's his prayer. He said, he said, he prayed that God would grant him success that day. And he was hoping for this specific sign that would alert him to the right girl. And it says, before he had finished speaking with God, a young woman named Rebecca appeared. And in answer to his specific prayer, she offered to water his camels. And then later we know she would become Isaac's beloved wife. Give me success today. Help me to find Isaac a wife. Let me know by her asking me to water my camels. Rebecca comes along. Hey, can I water your camels for you? Anybody for you looking for a spouse, you might want to ask for God to reveal someone who will ask to water your camels for you. You never know. A yes, same day. In fact, before he had even finished praying. Sometimes God answers our prayers right away. He's like, boom, be done. Now the cynic might say, well, she did not just appear out of thin air like he was praying and then she just, you know, beam me up, Scotty. Here she is. She obviously had left for this journey before he started praying. Long before he started praying. 
So some are like, well, what a co- nice coincidence. And at first I would say that's true. She obviously did start on her journey before he started praying because she literally appeared as, you know, he started praying and she probably came from some distance. But I, I want to uh, give us a reminder of something that we don't always think about when it comes to prayers. I would say God is not simply bound by time when it comes to prayer. We, we, he is not, he's outside of time, which we can't even comprehend, but he created time, right? And so God can start preparing an answer to our prayers before we even prayed that prayer. You ever thought about that? If he is outside of time, then he can start preparing an answer to our prayers years before we even pray it. In fact, it's very possible that he is preparing answers to things you are praying about right now that haven't come true. There are prayers you haven't even prayed yet, but he knows that you will pray and he is preparing answers to that. I think that's kind of cool. And that gives me hope this morning. God is a God who wants to say yes, wants to pour out his blessing in our lives. Now, another way that he says yes is he says yes, but in due time. Example here, Zechariah. We just passed Christmas time. Right? He had prayed many, many times. The priest, read about this in Luke. Many times he had prayed that they would have kids, him and his wife. But they continued not to have kids. The years had come, the years had gone, and probably so did his hope. And the two of them were both old now. Far past this whole season of childbearing. And yet one day while serving in the temple, God reveals to him that your petition has been heard. Luke chapter 1, verse 13, you and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. It could have been years since he prayed that last prayer, figuring that this was not God's will, that God said no. But yet God was working behind the scenes, waiting to say the yes at the right moment, which would be a a more amazing yes than if he had got it right away. Anybody want to remember who Zechariah's son was? John the Baptist, the one who would prepare the way for the Lord. I bet Zechariah could never have dreamed that his son would play such a role. But God knew it. And it made me think as I was preparing this sermon, I was like, I wonder, I wonder what prayers people out there are praying for, they're asking God for, and they think God's not answering. And, and, and yes, he's just, he's lining things up. To say yes in due time. That brings me hope this morning for the things that I'm praying for that I, I haven't seen an answer to. Now this next one is also a yes, but this one kind of scares me and it should scare the two of this, all of you as well. Because it's a yes that God can give us Not necessarily because it's his best for us, but because we are so beholden to an idea that he's going to say yes to teach us a lesson. Great example of this God responding to this attitude is in the Old Testament. You remember the Israelite nation, Israeli nation, they wanted a king. All the other nations did not have a king. I mean, had kings. So they wanted a king. We need one guy to look to, but God said, no, you do not need a king. You have me. I am your king. I am the one you are to look to. 
It's not going to go well for you if you have a king. But they still demanded a king. And so Samuel, prophet's talking to God. He said, I don't want to do these people. And God said, give them what they want. I'm paraphrasing here, of course. Give them what they want. They've rejected me. They've rejected my way. And then you can read the Old Testament, how rough it was for Israel because of the kings. And the things that the kings did to take the Israel nation away from God. Man, it scares me to think that I could be so confident in something for my life and I could, I could push and I could push and I could push for something that God will finally say yes so that he may humble me and teach me a lesson. God, I have to have this promotion. I need this promotion. I need to have this new house. I need, I need to move to this new place. I need this to happen. I need this not to happen. I mean, the possibilities are endless of the things that we could push for in such complete and utter confidence. Where in your life are you praying for something so hard, so vigorously, because you just want something so badly, not realizing that maybe this isn't what's God's best for you? Now, there's a great way to combat this. Because as I was writing this out, I was like, I don't want people to be afraid to pray. <laughs> like, what if I'm wrong? God's going to give me what I want. I'm doomed. I just can't pray. And you're like frozen praying anytime for anything. So first, there's two ways to combat this. Surefire ways. One, if you pray according to the Bible. Once again, why it's so important to be reading the Bible, why I'm so glad to have my family and friends to be going through a read of the Bible in the year plan together is because when you are praying for things that the Bible tells you to pray for or it tells you for things to pursue in your life, you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. Second, there's a surefire way, way to pray to avoid this. And Jesus gives it to us. When he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, the, the night that he is betrayed, and, and he says this, Luke 22, 42, he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Remember, uh, the cup in, in the Bible was an illustration for wrath. And he was talking about the, the pain, the wrath, and the death that was coming upon his way on the cross. But he says at the end of this, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus came asking boldly. I mean, he was crying out to God. He was lamenting to God boldly, knowing that God had the power to remove him from this if God the Father saw fit. But he also surrendered completely. This is what our prayer should look like. A boldness to know that God can do anything, but a humility to surrender our lives to the one who knows more than we do. Now, some will say, well, this is a lack of faith. You know, and I, and, and I remember in school, I was, church, I was growing up in high school, that, you know, if you prayed for healing for somebody, if there was any utterance of, if it be your will, well, that was a lack of faith, and God's not going to answer that, which was just the biggest garbage, non-biblical mysticism out there. Okay? It's not a lack of faith. It's a humility in approaching God, not knowing what he is up to. Not knowing if, if a yes is what's the best, or a yes in, in due time, or if what we're praying for may not be what he wants for us, his best for us. Saying, God, this is what I want, what I think is right, what I need best, but 
I am surrendered to your will. Those are the surefire ways to combat God teaching us a lesson through our prayers. It displays a right heart before God. I know you can do all things. This is what I want you to do, but I am surrendered because I know you can see what I can't see. Now, speaking of right heart, sometimes God says no to us because we have the wrong heart. James 4 talks about this. He says, you ask, but you don't receive because you ask wrong. You ask because you want to spend it on your passions. You're praying out of passion for something. I think sometimes God will say no to us until we get our heart right. Because we can ask for the right thing with the wrong heart. And I think sometimes God will wait until we have the right heart because when we get the right heart, then we start looking at whatever we're praying about with the right eyes, with the right attitude. I think a wise mother, a wise father, a wise parent will realize when their son or daughter is not in a position to appreciate a gift or handle it well. If Claire came up to me, my, she's 11 now, right? She just had a birthday. I have four kids, okay, so, it's, you know. She just turned 11. If she came to me now and she goes, Dad, I want to drive your car. I want to drive your car. I know it is not wise to let an 11-year-old drive a car, though she'd probably actually do pretty good. Like, it's not wise. God knows when answering our prayers is going to make a situation worse because our heart is not in the right place. And, and we should be okay with that. And, 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 and we'd be like, you know what? God, if my heart's bad, I, I pray you would show me. Because really our ultimate desire, if God loves us and he created everything for our best, if, if the way he designed the world to work and the Bible teaches us about his best for us, then we should want his will in our lives. You know, I, I am confident that if we knew God's will, if we knew everything that he knew, then some of the things we are praying for, we wouldn't pray for because we knew they were not his best for our lives. I, I remember counseling men in the past, single men, and they were like, I want to get married. My friends are married. I'm not married. I'm a failure at life. Blah, 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 blah. And, that, and that's a whole other subject there about God's timeline versus culture's timeline. But you know, and I, I said, I said, brother, to one of them, back when I was in, in Bellevue, Washington, I said, what if you're not in a right place to get married? What if you meeting your spouse right now and getting that cultural family recognition, getting in-law, your parents off your back, blah, blah, blah. What if that was the worst thing because you're not ready to be the man of God, the husband of God that he wants you to be? Or what if your wife's not ready? What if waiting three, four, five years to have a godly kingdom-building marriage. Would you wait for that? He goes, well, yeah. Sometimes God doesn't answer prayers because he knows our heart's not right. We're not ready for it. And sometimes he doesn't answer our prayers until we change our heart. I, um, I counsel a lot of marriages 
uh, in my, you know, 20 years of ministry. And, you know, and uh, I'll come across people who are praying for their marriage and they're praying for their spouse. Sometimes a good prayer, sometimes like, Lord, change them, help them repent, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, and all their prayer is focused on the other spouse. And, and, and if you've been married, you know it takes two to tango. And that both partners in a marriage contribute. And I find that healing does not come in marriages until each spouse starts looking, instead of staring at the person that they're married to and all their flaws, they start looking in the mirror and all the ways that they have failed in their marriage. That's when I see the prayers of their marriages start to be healed. When they have that humility and their heart changes. And that's when their prayers start to change. And that's when they start to be answered. So sometimes, man, God says no, because we don't have the right heart. Sometimes God says no. He says simply because I got a better plan. I got a better plan. When I was young and I would pray for things and they wouldn't happen, I would be very disappointed. I'd be like, okay, did God say no? He's punishing me. Did I not pray right? And someone taught me once to say, look, have you ever opened up your mind to the idea that maybe God has a better plan for you? I mean, why does your cynical mind immediately go to all the negatives? Why doesn't it jump to as quickly to the thought, maybe God has a better plan? And that brought me such peace when I learned that. I don't even remember who I learned that from. I learned it from somebody. And so now when I'm praying for things and it doesn't work out that way, and it's taken years to get rid of this cynicism to, to say, okay, God must have a better plan. He's doing something and I can be at peace with that. That's the beauty that God brings to us. When you have someone who is all loving and all powerful, who's omniscient and wants the best for us to expand his kingdom, you always have that hope to look to when things are not working out the way that you should. And it brings this peace that steadies us. You know, I think of Lazarus. Remember Lazarus was sick. His sister sent a note to Jesus that, hey, the one that you love is sick. Jesus was so concerned that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was at for two more days before coming to heal Lazarus. Right? And that's why they're writing. They're like, let's get a letter to Lazarus. We've seen him heal people. He can come and heal Lazarus. I mean, a message to Jesus. He can come and heal Lazarus. But Jesus doesn't come back until he's dead. Their, their answer, their petition was denied. And then when John gets back, when Jesus gets back, his sister is like, if you could only have been here. And Jesus says, look, Lazarus is dead. And he goes, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. Now let us go to him. What does Jesus do? Raises Lazarus from the dead. Remember the old Carmen song? Lazarus, come forth. Some of you, okay. All right, some of you, my age range, all right. You see, and if Jesus would have answered that prayer, if he would have said yes and healed Lazarus before he died, the disciples would have known what they already knew, that Jesus could heal people. But because he said no to that prayer, because he had a better plan, now his disciples knew that he had the power over life and death. And for what they were going to have to go through, they needed to know that he was someone greater than just a healer. Sometimes God has a greater plan. And so he says no.
I wonder what things he said no to you in your life because he has a greater plan. And if you've considered that, all right, God, maybe you got something greater. I'm going to trust in you. Now, the thing is, I list off all these reasons to you. And my desire would be that the next time we have to wait on God, because we don't always know which answer he's given us, right? Unless it's the immediate yes, we don't really know what answer he's given us when we pray. We got to wait. We got to wait, and waiting's hard, isn't it? In fact, our, our whole society is moving towards making waiting a thing of the past. Waiting is seen a bad thing. And the ironic thing is God says waiting is one of the most important things we can do. Because sometimes God wants us in the desert. And I say desert because that's what it feels like when you're praying for something and you're not getting an answer. We can feel dry. Uh, we can feel empty. We can feel tired. Waiting for God in what seems like desolate circumstances. But I think God wants us there sometimes because those are the times that we learn to depend on him and not the answers we're looking for. Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's on earth, and earth has nothing that I desire besides you, my flesh my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, when we're focused on their answer, our joy, our peace, and our hope rises and falls on, on getting that answer to prayer. But when we realize that God could be doing all these things and we really have no idea, we can't see everything going on, and, and we just we trust in him, then our hope and our joy and our peace rises and falls on him which is what he wants. I saw an example of this recently. I didn't, I didn't ask her if I could share this. I'm just going to do it. But I, um, and she can't stop me because I'm out here. But uh, you know Stephanie, our, one of our worship leaders, if, if you know her any time, uh, she has a desire uh, to start a Christian school in the area. Big desire. Um, uh, and if you know Stephanie at all, she is a bundle of energy for about everything. Like, she has joy and energy, and, and she's 100 miles an hour on everything. And, and she could be tempted to be impatient and want to start things tomorrow uh, and, and, and do her, 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 her best to make it just happen right away. And, and she was actually, and it was, uh, I don't know, a month ago, and we were talking about it here on a worship night, and she was, she was just sitting right down here in the front row, and, and we were talking about it, and she said, you know what, um, whatever the Lord wants to do. It's his school. It's his timeline. And I was so impressed that the Lord had worked on her in that way, that she has this thing that she has such a passion for, that if she was in the flesh, she would have started it yesterday, went full bore, and she's like, no, this is the Lord's. And there was a peace about her in the way that she said it. You know, Psalm 37 says, take delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will do this. And you know the Hebrew word for delight? It means to be soft and moldable and pliable. And so like when you start praying and lifting things up to God and, and your trust is in him and, and, and your dependence is on him and not the answer, he starts to mold your heart. You say, God, I'm open to whatever you want to do. And you start to look 
at things in new ways. You get patience because you know his timing could be better. Psalm 27 says, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. My point in sharing all of this for you is that as you begin to develop this prayer life, and that's my prayer that you will, that as you approach the Lord, you'll approach him with this boldness, knowing that he is the all-powerful God that can do anything. And that'll get you to start praying prayers that you've never prayed before. Because we've gotten... I can do this in my life. We can get so passive about our prayer life. We can just accept things the way they are. It's just the way it is. This is the way that person is. That's the way the situation is. That's the way this marriage is. This is the way that I am. And we can just become so passive, forgetting that God has the power to change anything. We just accept things. Oh, yeah. This is my job. I hate it. It is what it is. God has me here for a purpose. Not thinking, man, I could pray, Lord, I pray that you give me a new view of my job. I pray you give me a new passion for, passion for this. Or whatever the example may be, where we just settle for the way things are. We don't approach God boldly and confidently, that he has the power to change everything. And so that's why I pray, pray that your prayers will become bold and powerful before the Lord, knowing he has the power to change everything. Even in the middle of a bad day, like, oh, I'm having a bad day, I just want to go back to bed. How many of us say that? And then we just keep marching through our day, as opposed to saying, oh man, I'm having a horrible day. God, I pray you change my day. I pray you help me start it anew. I pray you give me a new, ex- a new expectant joy for the day. I help you to see and be grateful for things. Depart praying powerfully and boldly boldly before the Lord, and yet also pray humbly. Say, Lord, it's your world. My life belongs to you, and so I just trust you. I depend on you. I don't depend on my prayers. I know you're at work. Thank you. Thank you for being there. Thank you for working. That's what I pray that your prayer life would become. A bold person who prays to a bold and powerful God and yet humbly surrenders knowing he he is at work in ways that we cannot see. I'll tell you right now, my prayer life changed when I started to understand this about God. It was no longer dry and empty and I was no longer just going through the motions. I was talking to my almighty Father in heaven who could change any situation, no matter how dark, And the answer is whether they came or they didn't come. It did not matter because my hope was in him. I still struggle. I still come in times I don't want to pray. And I'm like, I just want to get in the office and do stuff. But even in those moments, this truth changes my mind. Say, Lord, I don't want to pray. I don't want to be here. I want to go do things. Father, I pray you change my heart. Help me to engage you in prayer. There's no time and no moment we cannot pray boldly before the Lord. The God who always answers. As it says in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And it comes through prayer. Amen, church?